Welcome to Parent Driven Development. I'm Kewu, and today I'm here with my friend JC. Hello, I'm JC, and I'm here with my friend Allison. Hi, I'm Allison, and I'm here with my friend Chris. Hi, I'm Chris, and we are joined today by uh, Calamar. So Calamar has recently gone through the process of adopting a child. Uh, and so our topic today is going to be adoption. <laughs> Calamar, you want to give us a little bit of a background about, um, you know, the, the recent addition to your family? Yeah, sure. So just a really brief summary here. Uh, thanks for having me. Basically, we spent about two and a half, maybe three years. I need to go back and do the math doing a whole bunch of paperwork and processes so that we could be introduced to our awesome daughter. And we've had her now in our family for about six months. And she's about 21 months old. And so when we got her, she was already able to reach tables and do a lot of things. <laughs> so it's quite a learning curve. It's been fun, though. That's awesome. So back to the beginning, what inspired adoption? So Gretchen and I started thinking about having a family after we were well above about 35. And so we just thought this was a better way to go about it. And it's something I've always considered doing anyway. So yeah, we just did a whole bunch of homework on the topic and went to town. <laughs> what was I'm curious what some of the like homework if you could walk us a little bit through so you mentioned like, oh, there's a bunch of paperwork and it took a while, etc. Can you sort of like walk us with a little bit more detail just sort of like through what the adoption process looked like for you? I feel like if I were to start this, I would like literally be, be Googling how to adopt <laughs> and maybe with a, I assume there might be some local regulations and, and uh, like everyone's process is a little different too. Yeah. So this podcast is about three hours long, right? So we got plenty of time. <laughs> yes. Okay. Cause it's quite a process. So yeah, adoption can be done a number of ways. And one of them is you can put an ad in the paper and say you want to adopt someone and then maybe with the help of a lawyer go through the legal proceedings of doing that. I would say probably don't do it that way. Um, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah, there, there could be a lot of complications with that. And as y'all were just saying there, there's definitely state policies that are different. You know, it's all policies are different in every state. And we did international adoption, so then it gets even more complex. So sort of a very common route to go about with adoption is to work through a licensed agency uh, like the one we worked with. And I'll, I'll need to look up the name because I'm happy to share who they are because they're awesome and wonderful. And they have offices, I think, in several parts of the country. But basically, these agencies have relationships with particular countries and they've done adoption many, many times, and they know all the steps involved with going through the process. So basically what happens is you go from a micro scale domestically of approvals. So that's talking to social workers in your home state, background checks in your home state, doing required coursework, which includes reading and going to workshops. For international adoption, they ask you to also do research on cultural events and activities that might be available for your child that are from their country of origin. And you get all this work done and you're, you're approved for the state. And then you have to get approval from the United States to adopt. 
And then once that happened, that involves, you know, filling out a lot of the same paperwork and some additional paperwork, sending it to your state's Department of State, which I don't know if everyone knew you had, because that's where you get things authenticated so that other countries can recognize them as valid. And then you send them to the country. It gets approved at a national level from that country that you are, you know, okay to be adopting a child from there. And then it goes to the local court proceedings in that region of the country. And it's different for each region of the country. So it's pretty straightforward, you know, not a lot involved. So, uh, so what was harder, the, the paperwork or the actual parenting after uh, <laughs> your, your daughter came home with you? Yeah, it almost seems like it'd be a cake in the uh, a walk in the park, right? Like a cakewalk to a parent once you could get through this process. Holy smokes. Yeah. You know, the hardest part about the process is really that there's no consequence for not doing it other than you're just delaying adopting your child. There's no one that bugs you to fill out the form. No one that tells you you're going to be late or this one's going to expire. Oh, yeah, there's that too. So it's kind of like spinning plates. So you might have your federal background check, but you're waiting on this other form to get approved. And then your federal background check expires. But all of them have to be active at the same time for everything to get approved at the same time. So you have to go back and get that other thing again. It's it's quite a lot of fun. But I would say parenting might be just a little bit harder than filling out paperwork or like a lot harder. She doesn't really come with an instruction manual or anything. Or I should say, actually, she comes with a lot of instruction manuals because one thing I have learned very early on as a parent is that every single person I know, including people without children, and every book I read has a different opinion on a topic. So that's always a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, what you're trying to tell us is that your life has changed a little bit since you adopted your, your daughter. Yeah, just like Midge. What are some of the major uh, changes you've experienced in these last six months? Other than obviously you have a child now, but uh, your lifestyle, for example, what you used to do before and now you are completely maybe don't do anymore, but you've replaced it with something else that is just as fulfilling or more fulfilling. Let me start with the one that kind of gets might get me the most, which is and everyone says this one, the inability to sleep in ever. So, you know, she wakes up when she wakes up and it's generally in that 6 a.m. range. So if I happen to have a late night the night before. Well, she doesn't really care. <laughs> yeah. That is tricky because then you start factoring in getting tired and getting sick. So that for me is probably the toughest one to, to address. I like to get a good like eight hours of sleep, seven and a half hours of sleep. So that's, that's always very tough. But as far as doing stuff like going out or, I don't know, going to a barbecue with friends or something, I, I find spending the day with my daughter learning more about her and she teaching me all sorts of different things to be just as fulfilling and interesting and really we're kind of lucky we're a little older so almost all of our friends already have kids so pretty much everything we do has always been and now is still kid friendly you know so this weekend we went to our friend's house and they all have kids the kids are even a little bit older so they even help with our daughter so it's actually pretty sweet. <laughs> and uh, actually, funny story, mention one more thing, you know, like three days after we got back, uh, it was snowing. My daughter is from India, so I'm sure that was kind of an interesting experience for her, even though she's only about, she was six months at the time. But I like immediately got introduced to like the secret cul-de-sac club of people 
And like we went down the street and around the corner and all of a sudden there was this awesome hill and everyone was like sledding the hill and all the parents were there. I was like, oh, this is cool. I wouldn't have known about this without my daughter. <laughs> yeah, there's something to that that, I mean, I, I had always heard about folks saying, oh, like it's it's like really fun to see the world new again through someone else's eyes who's experiencing it for the first time. Um, and I didn't quite get that before for sure. But now, I mean, just definitely one of my favorite things in life is seeing my son get extremely excited about something new or, or one of, you know, getting his favorite food for dinner or something and the anticipation, he just like loses control of his entire body and like is flailing his limbs around because he's so excited and happy. I'm like, man, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know what else like would make me quite that happy <laughs> to that extent these days. And that's yeah, really nice. It also sounds really nice to have a, you know, just to have like a social circle that gets it and you don't have to explain you know how how you want to see people but you still have to respect the daily nap schedule i'm, I'm assuming is probably where you're at at that, at that age yeah I, I can um tell the story of like the first time i saw her eating spaghetti it was definitely <laughs> such a super zen experience she was so into it and the texture i guess was so different and the tastes were so different like it was awesome to watch that so that was very cool. What's not fun is watching them explore physics like every day <laughs> time and just double checking that gravity is still there and it's going to do. And I don't like that one as much, but you know, we're working on it. It's, it's, it's in progress for the parents too. Yeah, I think the thing that was so odd when talking to you about this before was you didn't have that newborn infant experience of total sleep deprivation but instead you have these other different challenges where and you know you know calamari you were saying that like the rules are different like you can't you know when you've had the child since newborn like there are certain things you got to do like there's times when you just let them cry or you just you know you do other things or you got to give them give them whatever tough love um and you're like you can't like that does not work like the rules are just different when it comes to adoption and that's what I kind of thought was so interesting and, and unexpected. Yeah, totally. Obviously, you can adopt newborns too. But in, in our case, she came home and she was already 16 months old, which means we had to have the house childproof before she came. And she immediately pointed out to us all the things that needed further childproofing, <laughs> in, in, <laughs> giving us all sort of minor heart attacks along the way. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have a, a way to ease into that, right? You had to immediately start... <laughs> adjusting everything were you uh were you able to get anything set up at home as far as childproofing before uh she arrived or was this oh, yeah. kind of like a oh crap moment no 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 so i mean obviously we had time to plan and think about this so we went ahead and childproofed pretty much everything we thought we needed to childproof trying to think whether we moved the plants before or after we have a lot of house plants so now all of the house plants live in our office which stays constantly closed so when I'm in a meeting at work, my my camera is pointed like at the house plant, so it looks really nice. What people don't see is like the floor is covered in all our junk that she just shouldn't mess with right now, and we had a chance to put it in a better spot. So our office is just the hands-off danger zone of the house right now. It's kind of funny. There's such danger magnets. It's like I, I have actually <laughs> considered at times, um, like we have friends who have a son who's uh, a few months younger than ours. And before their son was mobile, we went over to their place once and I was kind of like, 
did you want to hire a toddler as a consultant for how for how much further you need to childproof your apartment? Because we can offer one up. Like we'll just just place him in the middle of any room, and like he will immediately find the most dangerous thing that is still out, and you can start from there and <laughs> make a list to to go. Actually, I was though that was one of the questions that I had. Is I'm curious, kind of about the. Or if you reach out to like a broader support system, support groups or meetup groups for other adoptive parents, or or if there are like, if there are in fact consultants that you can (laughs) talk to of like, hey, like, we are first time parents, and uh, we're not starting with the newborn experience, which which a lot of resources is like, where, where that's directed to, like, you know, what are the things that we should learn from now? Yeah. That's a great question. And one of the other benefits of working through these agencies is, in fact, having massive support, whether it's just calling up one of the social workers that are part of the organization or just being put in touch with parents, Facebook groups. I know I've already been on calls with two or three parents that are about to go to India to adopt their kids to give them advice on what they need for their trip. So the the level of support starts even there. Like, hey, you were in this town, who was your driver while you were there? And then all the way back to any type of support pretty much for the rest of her life from the agency that we worked with. And there's ongoing training that's all free that if we want to go attend to, to learn about dealing with different issues. Uh, yeah, so it's it's pretty awesome. I, I, I find that um, I wouldn't mind if biological parents had to go through some more of the things that we have to go through with adoption. Yes. <laughs> yes, I I continue to marvel like at the after you're say in the hospital or whatever you deliver, they barely check that you have your car seat safely installed, and then they just send you on your way. And I'm like, yeah. I'm completely unqualified for this very important. <laughs> yeah, job. that's what I. Why do you trust me? You shouldn't trust me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that first ride home is like, yeah, you're freaking out. Like, don't you know I have a child in the car? Even though the child was probably in the car when you drove to the hospital, just not in its car seat. Not on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> the, the child's okay. been in the car. You're just freaking out differently. It's it is a strange feeling for sure. Did, did you have yeah. that on the drive home for after you picked? picked her up and, and, you know, or I guess from the airport back to the house. Yeah. So my, my big concern was that, you know, in India, there are no car seats. We rode around in tuk-tuks and all sorts of cars and the most harrowing road situations that I think a lot of people maybe have experienced in America. They've never seen anything like it. She's pretty chill about all of that. Obviously she didn't care. She could care less. She just smile and giggle at things. So when we got back, my biggest concern was, is she going to sit in the car seat? Like, is she going to be cool with getting strapped? in? This person has never been strapped into anything in their life. But it turns out that like 30 hours of flight travel, you get tired enough that you you just kind of comply. So yeah, she came home, sat in the car seat, not much concern. And we put her in her crib and she went immediately to sleep. And we're like, hey, this is easy. I like this. Yeah. That's not how it is now every day. But it was. <laughs> I'm curious if there is a reason why you pick like the organization you went through or sort of like the, the country, right? Like, or I don't know, was there a, was there a thought towards that? You just sort of like know someone that went through that process and you felt like it was a good process to go through or because there are a lot of different, I mean, I imagine there are, like you mentioned before, there are a lot of different ways to, to do adoption. So is there a, a particular reason around that? Yeah. 
So my recommendation for people that want to adopt is first you do some Googling to find adoption agencies in your region. And then they all offer open houses. So we went to a number of open houses where we get to meet parents who have adopted. We hear them talk about what the process is like. And then you go to workshops and the workshop is essentially an eight hour day to pretty much convince you that you probably shouldn't adopt if any of these topics scare you Uh, (laughs) because they they get into everything, you know, like grieving, attachment, self-soothing problems that kids could have, you know, because whether they know it or not, that, that, that child is going through just an immense emotional experience, even if they can't express that when they leave wherever they're leaving and, and meeting these new people and interacting with these new people, it's just a massive shift for them. So yeah, so our process, sorry, I got a little tangential there, but the process was basically to go around to different open houses. And then we factored in a couple of things like how expensive it is because it's different prices for different agencies in different countries. And also the timeline, depending on the country, it's longer or shorter And we basically opted for, this is going to sound terrible, but basically the least expensive, you know, reasonable sounding timeline, price and nice people that we liked. And it wasn't the upstairs school of medicine or any kind of thing like that, that we were interacting with. Yeah. And it worked out wonderfully. These people are beautiful people. So it would be kind of amazing if there was a similar like so-called shopping, uh, shopping experience for the kind of pregnancy that you might be signing up for, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that uh, just like happens to you. I am really curious about the the workshop about I think that's really interesting what what you said and I'm curious like if that affects you. So, right, adoption you mentioned the workshop that goes through just like a ton of topics of like things that you that you might experience. And I think that that is sort of a fact. I mean, I'm sure it's a factor of a child that you adopt it at any age, but especially sort of like not adopting a adopting a newborn and the fact that like whether or not they sort of know it and can articulate it or not, they're going through this huge emotional shift or change. I'm curious if there is anything uh, like if that if that or how that affected your parenting style at all. Yeah, that's a great question, too. And I'm not just using that as filler because I know people use that phrase as a filler and it irks me, but these are awesome questions. So yeah, that's what's interesting about that is it goes through my mind constantly, right? Like when we signed up for daycare, one of the things that comes to mind is do we bother telling them that she's adopted or not, right? Like I don't want her to get preferential treatment or be stereotyped or any sort of thing like that. But it turns out that at least for adoption, you have to provide paperwork that about her background, uh, sorry, not adoption for daycare. So she knew that she was adopted, but it doesn't seem to affect things in any way that I can tell, but it definitely comes to mind when we're making big decisions for her. Yeah. I mean, there's just a lot that goes into adopting a child, right? And the older they are, then usually the more that comes with that. And I don't know, right now, our daughter seems like the poster child of adapting to new parents. We were told by the social workers, we met with them a couple days or weeks after she was adopted that they've never seen attachment like they saw with us and our daughter. That usually that's reserved for six months to a year, if not longer. So, you know, knock on wood, it's been just an amazing experience. And the only kinds of challenges we face day to day, I think are typical, you know, 
toddler challenges of throwing my food on the ground. So. Oh, yeah, we know that one well over in our house, too. <laughs> I'll apply that to uh, when we start talking about potential failures. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll share more. I was wondering about this, too, in terms of, like, the extent to which you discuss, like, you know, walking the balance that, that being adopted is very much part of her story, but it is also not the only part of her story and, like, that her, her identity as a person, you know? And I could I could totally see the, the concerns around, like, it's like good context, but also, you know, there are to- things that are just normal and like possible to happen regardless of the the situation she was in before she joined your family. Um, have you and Gretchen talked much about how, like how you will talk to your daughter about this now even or, or in the future? Yeah, totally. So one of the general suggestions that are provided is to definitely talk about it. And I've talked to people who have been adopted and they all expressed great appreciation for, you know, having plenty of context into having been adopted. But obviously what you want to do is discuss that at at a level that they can sort of comprehend, right? Because their levels of abstractions just are so, you know, they progress. So when she's four years old and can talk about things, we'll talk about it a certain way. And when she's 15, we'll talk about it a different way. And, you know, I I think having an open discussion about it is definitely the healthier way to go. I've seen examples of even people in our family who didn't have that approach. And these days they deal with a lot of family trauma because of that. So our general policy is definitely going to be to be as open as possible about it at the level that makes the most sense for her at a given age. I I would agree too with the being transparent and open that way. And that it's not a taboo subject, right? It's it's normal. It's that's the normal in, in a lot of families, and so it's a, definitely a normal thing, and uh, not make it something that's weird, because <laughs> then it will be, right? So it's a, how you address it will definitely be how uh, how you feel about it and how they, you talk about it with your daughter. In my my family, we've always been very open about a lot of things and pretty much all topics and stuff. And so I think it's helped be able to have conversations with our children that it doesn't feel weird for them to talk to us, even though they still will not just talk to us about everything or especially now that they're teenagers, they'll, you know, they they pick and choose what they want to talk to their parents about because they know that maybe they should not be doing something or should, you know, or they're going to have to uh, massage the data they're they're conveying to their parents in order to uh, maybe get approval for something. So they just avoid it sometimes. But definitely helps to be, just be open about all, all topics. And, and the hardest part for me as a parent is to not immediately jump to a conclusion or be judgmental or, or say like, well, there's going to ha- have to be some kind of consequence or something and just listen and be chill about something. And so that's what I'm working on trying to figure out. So hopefully it, you know, it's, it sounds like you guys are on a great path as, as far as that goes. And it'll be, it'll be easy to continue down that way. Most common one that sort of is like, for the lay person who hasn't adopted the topic that is obviously the most common one is like the child saying something like, you're not my mommy or something like that. And I can tell you already from having done two and a half to three years of work and traveling halfway around the world, I am definitely her dad. And I did way more work than a a biological parent did to have their kid. I will say my wife and I both agree. This was 
this was a lot of work to have this child. And so we are definitely her parents and she will know that this is the case. Might not be biological. We're definitely her parents. Absolutely. And what you're saying is you have receipts. (laughs) We have proof. Here's the proof. I mean, I'm not worried about the money part, but you know what I mean? Like it was a lot. Well, of no, I that. didn't mean money part. I, just meant like, you know, yeah. I can prove that I really wanted to be your dad. And hey, here. listen, kid, I bought a printer because it was cheaper for me to print everything at home because I had to run through hundreds of pages of documentation than it was to go to uh, Kinko's or as the young kids say, FedEx office now, I guess. <laughs> the young kids. Is that, what, is that what the young kids say? <laughs> yeah. well, they probably don't know Kinko's. So. <laughs> One thing that I'm curious about is, uh, is there anything like when you, okay, so I think that like, when we think about parenting, I don't know, I think that all of us as parents, when we think about things that we're worried about for the future, you know, as, as parents or for, for our children, I'm sure that we all have sort of like that thing that we're, that we're nervous about, or that we think a bunch about. I'm wondering if like the things that you see in your future as a parent, if, if a lot of it has to do with adoption or if it's sort of just more like, oh, the the general parenting things. Like, I'm curious how that experience colors your view as a parent. And as you think about sort of like not just your yourself as a parent now, but yourself as a parent for the rest of your life. Yeah. So as a as a general rule of thumb for just Calamar is that I I tend to not focus too much on on that type of thing. When the problems come up, I will deal with them. But that being said, I've been exposed to enough information that there is at least one topic that for me is a, can potentially be a concern. So what happens with international adoption, especially when the parents are of a different, are, are from a different part of the world than their child. You know, my, my wife and I are both white, right? white Caucasians, and our daughter definitely is not. And so what that means is when she goes out in the world by herself, she is a minority and she will be treated as a minority. And so it's, uh, you know, it's uh, learning to like, we need to stand by her and have her back for sure. When she comes home and someone at school or a teacher says something inappropriate to her, we need to like have her back and go deal with that situation regardless. And that one that is definitely a little bit a little bit scary for me. And then the rest is just sort of typical kids things. She's a girl, I'm a dad, so of course I'm worried about all that kind of stuff. So, yes. Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting to think about I think having a child with sort of different I guess like different identity markers, right? And and figuring out like how you make sure that you're understanding those in a way that right, like you've sort of never lived that exact experience, making sure that you're under understanding that in in a way and trying to trying to get there. So that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing. Is trying to be involved with like a local Indian community or like a connection with her Indian heritage and culture, something that you is, is sort of part of your general plan or not, I guess. So I go a little back and forth on that. And I've talked to other school teachers and, and a few other folks about this as well. So the adoption agency wants us to definitely expose her as much as possible to her culture. But what I don't want to do is some sort of contrived experience, right? Like, oh, let's watch this 
movie from India on TV, and then she's going to ask me questions, and I'm going to have no clue, right? I think that has basically zero value for her or or for me. But otherwise, you know, going to events. Fortunately, we live in an area here in Virginia where there's just so much Indian culture and and people from India that that's really not a challenge. So I'm not terribly worried about that. But I definitely don't want her to feel uncomfortable ever in the future being around Indian people and not understanding their culture and some of the conversation to the extent that that's possible for me, right? Because I know some people, uh, I know a woman who was born in Korea, but she was raised in upstate New York. And her parents just, you know, they did a great job raising her. She's wonderful, but they didn't really um, have a concern for for making sure she was exposed to Korean culture at some level. And now she says she feels a little uncomfortable here in Northern Virginia when she's around a lot of Korean people and just doesn't understand their context. And obviously that depends just on each person, too, of their level of comfort of just saying who they are and being comfortable in their skin. But yeah, that's definitely something that crosses my mind. All right. So now we are going to move into our genius and fail moment. This is the part of the show where we talk about something that has happened in the last couple of weeks, which we feel was either a really great genius moment. Um, we felt really fantastic about ourselves as parents or something that we felt was a little bit of a of a fail. Would anyone like to go first? So I can I can go first. So I had a, a genius moment, which is store up all of your kids' old Duplos in the attic and leave them there for a few years until a friend of yours adopts. And then you can show up one day with a giant tub full of Duplos. And the best part is when uh, Calamar uh, texts me messages of the little one playing with, with the Legos and building stuff, and it's amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, and I got stuff out of my attic. It was total win-win. <laughs> I can say that you are not the only one that had that idea, Chris, as much as you were first, and we got the coolest stuff from you. But now we have way more Duplos than we know what to do. Although I don't think there can ever be too many Duplos. There's never, there's never enough Legos, and, yeah. and those hold their resale value. <laughs> That's what I told, Gre- <laughs> told Gretchen. Hey, hold on to these, because if we ever need to sell them, we can probably sell them for a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I can go. I have a genius. I've been traveling a bunch this summer, and last week I had to go to San Francisco to our office headquarters and for the week, and I decided that I was going to bring Devin with me. Um, and as I was thinking through... The logistics of having a four-year-old in an office for a variety of days. One thing that dawned on me was uh, how do I not have him immediately next to me, but make sure that we can stay in touch because he cannot spell. And so I bought us a couple of walkie-talkies, which I personally was really excited about because it's been decades since I've had walkie-talkies. And when we were at HQ, we used the walkie-talkies and it was great. The rules were that he had to be on the same floor as I was on, but that if he needed anything, he would just walkie-talkie me. Um, And it worked out really well. And he was really 
fantastic and they were super convenient and it was just amazing I was a little afraid he was just gonna press that really annoying call button a thousand times and like that rings the walkie-talkie and it was gonna like disrupt the whole office and everyone was gonna be really angry at me forever but he was very had a lot of self-control and on and like would walkie-talkie me to like give me a status update or to be like I'm not sure where I am can you come find me but it went really really well so genius walkie-talkies with four-year-olds highly recommend did you teach him any trucker lingo i did not i tried to teach him over but he was just like i don't what i don't understand <laughs> why. <laughs> I, think, I think there's a family guy with that over thing <laughs> like a, a gps thing to that walkie-talkie because then you can find them <laughs> that's true. Yeah. i mean he had to stay on the floor so there wasn't like Sometimes I would be like, can you describe to me what's around you? Because then I would be able to figure out really quickly oh, that's exactly really where he yeah, was. That's a really smart way to do it. So, yeah. Calamar, were you going to say something about spaghetti? I'm not going to say anything about spaghetti. Not this <laughs> I figured I would go first and I would close out, but it's up to y'all. No, it's fine. I can go next. So I have, eh, I don't know if it's a genius or a fail, but it's more like just, a, you know, continuing letting, it has to do with letting your kids kind of follow what they would really like to do. And it's this summer, it's been my daughter playing softball and she just turned 10 and she's been playing now for two seasons. And she is basically our, our team's catcher and has really excelled at that and gotten better, but she really likes it and is like to practice. And so we've always taught our children that if you want to get good at something, you need to put the work in and uh, she really has and it's paid off and you can see the progress that she's made just even through, throughout the season but it's been a long season two or three months feels like forever and they'll close out the season tonight that's the final games of the tournament so it's just been fun to watch her progress and for her to realize that hey if i keep working at this i, I do get better and I, I it's more enjoyable the more the more uh, that you're able to perform at a, a higher level uh, even though they're 10 year olds still i mean it's, you know, there's still kids playing, but the same with the uh, batting. Uh, she struck out a couple of times in a game one time and she was really upset. So she uh, begged and begged until we took her to the batting cages. And now she wants to go all the time and, and got better at batting and, and just put the work in. So I think, uh, you know, the genius would be that you've, we've taught our kids to really work for something that they want and, and she's willing to put the work in and do the extra practices and stuff. Uh, outside of regular scheduled practice to get better at it. And that's been really fun to see and, and watch her realize that she can accomplish whatever she wants as long as she's working and, and has the opportunity to do that. And so we try to pave the way and then she does the does the work. So that's been a fun thing to have this summer. That's awesome. But JC, I think if I recall correctly, you do more than that. Uh, you're You're leaving out some important things. You also show them sort of the art of the possible by taking them to the games and to the events so they can see where they're going to get. It's not just like, yeah, of like, oh, yeah, if you work hard, you'll get good at this. Like, what does that even mean? But taking yeah. them to the events really helps. Like, And we do. And we do. And go visit. We have other friends that have a high level, like, uh, a daughter that plays a really high level. And she's 13, I think. But she's super good at and just super athletic. And we go, we've gone to some of her games, and my daughter's watched how they play and watched the catchers play there. And then my daughter has become an avid uh, baseball highlights fan on YouTube, so she is always watching that too. So that helps absolutely exposing them to a higher level and where where, where they can get to. And 
uh, we go to a lot of high school games too and watch those. And so I, we do spend a lot of time and that's kind of, you know, this, I, I think I mentioned this before, it's going to pass. It's, it, we'll have this for a few years and then it'll be done. So I don't mind that this is what we spend our time on at this stage in our lives because it's, it's something that's going to end. It ended this year with our senior that graduated. He won't wrestle anymore. And so that ended. And I'm so upset every time I think about it. So it's it's definitely something, uh, it's an investment, but it's definitely worthwhile to watch your, your children be able to feel that sense of accomplishment and realize that they, they're capable of becoming more than they are now. So how many sports photos did you take this past year? Uh, uh, photos overall, over 100,000. Sports photos, probably <laughs> over twenty or 30,000, I guess. I don't know. I was learning how to use a camera, man. I didn't know how to sh- turn the shutter off. I, I bet you put the work in, and it's it's a, you know, a lot better results now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're in focus now. I think they're in focus now. So at least that, you know, accomplished that much. But yeah, I took a lot. It's ridiculous. But it's fun. <laughs> My submission for this week is likely one I shouldn't take too much credit for, but I'm going to anyway, because it makes me feel good, which is my son, who is just a couple weeks away from turning two, oh my god, uh, has, is, is just like very verbal generally, and it's is just these last few months been such a total sponge, like you say something once, and then a few days later, you just like hear him repeating it to himself over and over again. So we've definitely got to the point of like, oh, right, like, now for real, we need to shape up any uh, bad cursing habits we might not want to to get repeated at an inopportune uh, family extended family gathering kind of time. But uh, I mean, in general, I'm I'm really into the big into the idea of uh, that young kids learn so much from what you model to them in terms of manners and like how you treat other people. And it seems to be paying off a little bit, at least, because recently he's he started also saying thank you uh, when we give him something just like totally unprompted, because we've we've always tried to thank him when he gives us stuff that and is shared with us. So it's super cute, and it just makes me really happy. I'm Brazilian, so I speak Portuguese to our daughter, mm-hmm. and my wife speaks English to her, and she totally codifies it, and she answers us both. Well, sometimes she uses a mix of things, but. She'll answer things in Portuguese and things to my wife in English. It's pretty extraordinary. Totally, yeah. I uh, speak Mandarin Chinese, and so I'm also trying to do like the one parent, one language thing. Um, I'm in some support groups around this, and one person shared a story where they were so successful with this, but then started to try to broaden their ecosystem because their kid was really surprised the first time they heard an adult that was the opposite gender of the, of the parent that spoke that language. And they were like, oh... It's not only moms that can speak whatever it was or, or you know, speak to all moms in whatever yeah. <laughs> that too. Yeah. They it's, are so the way- smart, so capable. I think, yeah, it's amazing. Either. You just speak in that language. Kids pick up on context. That has been my experience. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, actually, if I can just brag another little bit, it's not us, but other folks have been, you know, practicing counting numbers with him or in his books and things. And the other day we heard him counting to himself 17, 18, 19, 10 teen. Oh. And I was like, that is amazing generalization. Like, wow. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing because <laughs> in mandarin you say 210 right yeah 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 <laughs> that's amazing yeah that's so cool so okay i might share one of each so i felt like a big win 
last week for me was it was just my daughter and I. She needed to eat dinner before she went to bed. I tried to put her in her high chair and she does the leg flailing thing and is like, nope, I'm going to play with blocks, those daggone Duplo blocks that she has now. So I put her in her playpen and she sat down and played with the blocks. And so what I decided to do was I set up a little table and chair in front of her pen and I sat there and I ate my food and I made it the most delicious experience possible. And eventually she started getting curious about it and came over and wanted to eat it. And to the point where she liked that. So then I I was able to take her back to her chair. She sat down and then she ate her whole dinner without any problems. That felt pretty good. That was a lot of fun. And then a fail for me, which happens probably three times a week, is trying to keep my cool when she throws food when she's sitting in her high chair. But she does it in a way where she's just like looking at me. And just kind of staring, like, watch this, dad. And she throws the food on the ground, even though I'm trying to have her not do that. And I try to play it cool because that's probably better because she's just getting a reaction out of it. But she's so smart. I know she knows better. But I have a hard time with that. And I get grumpy with her. And it's just something I keep working on to figure out a better approach to dealing with the food throwing situation. Oh, man, we totally went through that phase. And I swear he would he would like look us in the eye and he was clearly communicating like, yeah, I'm about to throw it through. What, what are you going to do about it? Huh? What are you yeah. going to do? <laughs> That's where Layla is too. She will, she's actually not as bad with me, but she knows that it like gets on Colin's nerves. Mm-hmm. And so she will, she will like stand up. So she likes standing in her high chair. She will stand up lean forward, like look him right in the eyes as she drops food on the ground. And he's just like, oh, you such and such. Like, what what am I going to do with you? (laughs) But it is clear defiance. That's where I think there's a breakdown for, for, at least in my opinion. This is, again, one of those things where everyone has their own opinion. She's not defying me. She's just getting to explore what that reaction is and see that reaction. It's not like, well, you can't possibly give me enough of a punishment here, right? They they have no sense of that at at this age at all. It's really just, well, this is a fun, interesting experience. (laughs) Right. Um, And it's like an exploration of power. Like, oh, for a while I I was pulling, I pull her plate away sometimes because she does the frenetic flailing thing too. So I have to get the plate away before food goes everywhere sometimes. But So what she does now sometimes is she throws the food on the floor, looks at me, and then she puts her plate away, like moves it away from herself. (laughs) So she knows exactly what's happening and is just sort of exploring Mm -hmm. what goes on. And so probably the less I pay attention to it, probably right now at this age, the better. (laughs) But that's easier said than done. There are times where I just can't. I like food too much. I don't know. And I know she's so smart. So anyway, that's my learning every couple of days. <laughs> cool. Calamar, thanks for joining us. If folks want to find you on the interwebs, where is a good place for them to for them to find you? Yeah, my Twitter handle is my first name. So it's just Calamar. I jumped on that very quickly. That's probably the best place. Great. Thanks so much for, for joining us. 
And thank you so much for listening to the Parent Driven Development Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have questions that you'd like us to chat about on air, please email us at panel at parentdrivendevelopment.com or find us on Twitter at, at parentdrivendev. And if you like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We're patreon.com slash parentdrivendev or rate us on iTunes. Thanks so much. Thank you.